proper round of applause there. Come on, people. Where, where are you hiding, Hannah? Where were you, babe? There we go. Hello, baby. Hannah's back. She's back from America. Ethan's hiding in the back. It's his worst thing, apparently, when I um, uh, call him out. You'll find that if, when you finally get the birthday magazine. We've got a special magazine coming out for our birthday happening in the four weeks' time. On the 23rd, we think, of January. Things are so up in the air all the time in this city. Um, but we're going to be celebrating 21 years that this church has been in Dubai. Isn't that incredible? 21 years. It's crazy. And um, I mean, it's only a few years um, less than I've been around, which is pretty amazing. But um, we believe that that birthday is actually a really significant thing, even as we see the shift that's taking place in 2022 with the weekends changing as something quite significant as well. I don't know how many of you already know what days you're going to have off and how your weekends are going to work in your companies. We're, we, we're kind of gambling on for now, well, not that we gamble, but that Sunday is going to be the day that we'll be gathering. We recognize that that may or may not be the case for some people in your work environments. And we'd love for you to just share with us as we move forward what days whether it's going to be a problem. Say, for example, you find that you are working on a Sunday. Don't just bail from church and turn up again next year when they, you know, or the year after when they change it. Come tell us. We want to make sure that we can serve the city as much as possible. And so we're, uh, we're looking to see exactly how it's going to land. But I'm actually quite excited about it more than just for the work alignment. I, I think for many businesses here, the aligning with the rest of the world is quite a positive thing because of the way the the weekends will work, but I have felt prophetically in this that there is a spiritual alignment that God's wanting to put in place. And so 2022, bring it on, um, Omicron, bring it on. We, uh, we're going to smash this COVID thing in the face and uh, get on with what God has for us. Amen? Amen? So I do have the privilege of preaching this morning. My name is Rob. I'm one of the elders here, and I serve as my beautiful wife, who's looking Gorgeous today. Yeah, you do, baby. I just, what can I say? You just look amazing. And um, so uh, it, is, and it is a privilege, as I said, to bring the word. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 2. And to the guys that are online, welcome. We, it's great to have you with us. And we trust that you'll stick with us right to the end. I'm re reading from verse 1 all the way through to verse 20. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you follow with me? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is, the Christ, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts 
praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those in whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think Christmas is its obviously one of my favorite times of the year. I'm sure for you guys, it's the same sense as well. There's so much to be joyous about. It's often a time when we get to be with family. Um, COVID has made it a little bit difficult for some of us now. Some of our family are around in different places, but they're certainly in our hearts. But for those of us that have got family together here, it is amazing. We get to eat some good food. We get to exchange gifts, and we get to celebrate the birth of a baby. And every birth is amazing and wonderful, isn't it? When there's a, a new life, this, this fresh promise kind of put together, we have, a, we have a fake baby Jesus, yeah? We've got him covered up because this baby Jesus actually has a beard already. <laughs> he, must, he must be of Arab descent because I know. I think Arabs are born with beards. I think that's half the time. Some Indian men as well seem to be born with the ability to produce hair at any point of time. But there is this, this joy and this celebration around a baby being born. And, and we know that we've had three children. It's a great cause for celebration for us. We um, followed the biblical example of finding out the gender of our baby before it was born because Mary obviously knew that she was having a boy. And so uh, we found out the, the gender of our children, but not for that reason. We just wanted to make sure we got the room ready. Um, but we, we, weren't, we didn't have our children at a time where there were some of these major over-the-top celebrations or about gender reveals. I don't know if you've heard about those things before where people invite all their friends around and they have pink balloons and blue balloons and they have a, I don't know, something like a cake at the center and then they cut open the cake at this critical moment and as they cut it, the, the cake inside is blue or it's pink, revealing the gender of the baby. Blue, if you didn't know, is for boys and pink is for girls and um, I've heard all sorts of crazy stories. A, a guy that he had a pet alligator, and he got this alligator to bite into a, a watermelon, and the watermelon was filled with blue jello, and they were able to see, oh, it's a baby boy. Um, I don't know if that was where that was, but that's craziness. Then I heard of another couple. Actually, I watched the video the other day, and their plan was to have a little bit of a baseball moment. So the wife had a ball that was packed with colored um, powder, and she was going to toss it to her husband, and he was going to smash this ball like this. And as he hit it, it would burst forth and reveal the gender of their baby. But his husband was not all that coordinated. He missed that ball, seriously, by a foot. It was not, not even close. I think if he had 10 shots, he would hit the ball. But the father-in-law was playing catcher, and so he's huddled down behind playing as if he's catcher there. And he also didn't have the greatest cohorts because his hands did not move in the slightest. They stayed here, and the ball hit him full on in the face like this. <laughs> bursts, it's a great video, bursts like this, this blue smoke, and he stands up looking like the Smurf, saying, it's a boy, it's a boy. <laughs> and I don't know if you did that with your babies, and you did a big gender reveal party. I'm not going to judge you if you did, that's your thing. But it got me thinking about how little fanfare there was around the birth of Jesus. There was no gender reveal parties, no massive things going on. In fact, if, you, if we read that account there, we see that 
Mary and Joseph were not even in their hometown. They were, they were not amongst people that they knew. Nothing was familiar to them. Um, it was such a busy time, like, I don't know what it would be like, the equivalent of the Dubai shopping festival at its peak or something like that, or when it was really um, super popular. So they couldn't get a hotel room, and uh, she had to give birth to the baby in a stable. I mean, can you imagine that? And uh, Jesus was placed... This looks so romantic now when we look at something like this, but this was a feeding trough for an animal. You think today with mother's hygiene standards, they'd be detailing that thing to death, and they would, like, my baby's not going in there. Jesus was wrapped in cloths and stuck in a manger like this. And I know sometimes things don't always turn out the way that we plan. I can remember when um, Ethan was born, um, Linda was pregnant with him, and said, uh, I was supposed to be going to a, a meeting in Australia. And she said to me, please don't go. So we went to go see the gynecologist. And the gynecologist said, no, it's fine. This baby will be at least two weeks. You're free to go. I kissed the gynecologist, got on the plane. I mean, I kissed my wife, got on the plane. <laughs> Even at the airport, she was saying to me, don't go. I was saying, baby, baby, follow the signs. And I got on the airplane and flew to Australia. And when I landed there, I got the news that Linda was being rushed into the, into the hospital to have the baby. I got back on the same plane, flew all the way back from Australia, missed the birth, but got there the same day. And so sometimes things don't work out the way that we want it to, but, but what happened with Mary and Joseph here? We, we see from the account that Caesar had decided that he wanted to take a census of all the people, and so they had to go to the towns where they were born in. And um, Joseph was of the lineage of David, and that's important because we, knew, we know from prophecy that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And so that bloodline, is, or that bloodline so it seemed, was from Joseph. And uh, Joseph went there, and it was busy, obviously, because everybody was in town. And that appears to be the reason why they were there. But the real reason why they were there is that God ordained that it would take place. I don't know if you've ever been to the Joneses' Christmas carols annual bash. Any, who's, who's had that privilege of being there? Just five of us. See, that's rough, eh? Yeah. Well, next year, Wayne and Angela, oh no, there are no more. That was the last one. That was your last chance to get invited. But, but we, uh, we were there recently um, in their home singing carols, and each of us had to do a reading. And my reading was from Micah chapter 5. And uh, it reads like this. But you, O Bethlehem, um, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And what's telling us from this prophecy that happened hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that God had foreordained where the son would be born. The Ephrathah is actually, it's a district within Bethlehem. So not only did he say the town, it was like the the suburb in the town, he knew where he would come from. And so God ordained that this child that would be born, who was actually from ancient of days, would be born in that exact place. And so when Luke writes in verse 6, and he says that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The time came for her to give birth. We have to know that in the same way that God foreordained the place, he foreordained the time of the birth of the Messiah as well. In fact, Paul writes um, in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, um, he says, yeah, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The whole point of the coming of the Son was our adoption 
into that family. But Paul says, yeah, when the fullness of time had come. In all of history, from um, Adam and Eve being put out of the Garden of Eden, all the way through all of history, this was the perfect moment. This was the moment that God ordained for the coming of the Son. The Father in heaven always has and always will have the, His redemptive plan fully in His hands. He's in control of every part of it, including the timetable when these things will happen. And so we have to believe that the sovereign God could have ensured that Jesus be born at any time. It could have been that the time was two weeks before when Mary was still in her home. It could have been when she had a, a midwife that she knew around her and family nearby. So when the baby came, they'd be able to help care for the baby and care for them as a family. It could have been any place. Jesus could have been born in a palace or at least in a, a clean hotel room and not in a stable. Instead, by the sovereign Father's design, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the Savior, was born in the most humble of circumstances. Imagine what would have happened if Jesus was born into a royal family. Imagine God, instead of choosing Mary, this young woman of, of, um, of, from a small town, had chosen a princess. And instead of Joseph as the so-called father um, who was a carpenter and a nobody, really, he had chosen the son of a king, maybe Herod's son or something like this. Imagine what that birth would have been like. I'm sure there would have been dignitaries all around. All the royal families from the areas around would have been invited. The, the son of a royal is being born. It's prophesied that he will become the king of kings and the lord of lords. And they would have been milling around and there would have been servants rushing backwards and forwards with food and making sure that everything was necessary for the birth. There would have been, um, there would have been beautiful robes prepared, many for the baby to be wrapped in. And imagine the fuss, the parents who had brought forth the Savior, the Messiah. I'm sure at the very least, Oprah would have made sure that they got on for a reveal-all interview. But imagine the pride. Imagine the stench of ambition that be would have begun to seep through the veneer of humility in those that were present. Imagine all of the posturing and the maneuvering to um, protect the positions of power that people had or to somehow move into positions of power. In my, my reading this week, on, on Tuesday, I was taken to Isaiah. And Isaiah 29, verse 13 and 14 says this from the New Living Translation. But these people say they are mine. But these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. Isaiah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's quite a difficult book to read without some help. And so I would recommend if you are going to go study it, grab a good commentary and take your time and work through it. But I love Isaiah because it marches it literally, the, the way that Isaiah writes it, the, the tempo of the verse actually marches and imitates the marching of the, of the armies that are going against each other in the, in the book of Isaiah. But it also marches from the, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 of a child that will be born and a son that will be given, marches on and on and on until its climax in Isaiah 53 where we come across the suffering servant who the scripture says was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. 
And so when we read that passage in Isaiah chapter 29, we have to see it in the context of a single message. And the message is this, that there is a Messiah that is coming to save us where human prayer and wisdom, or sorry, where human power and wisdom has proven again and again to be futile. Let me say that again. The message is of the coming of a Messiah to save us where human power and wisdom has proved to be futile. The futility of human power, of our ability to save ourselves, is something that comes through again and again in the book of Isaiah. And it's never more clearly articulated than when the prophet goes to the king of Judah, Ahaz, and he confronts him. Now, Ahaz has got this enemy advancing against him, and you can understand why he's terrified. This is a, it's a terrifying enemy. But God has made promises to Ahaz that he will take care of Judah. Instead, Ahaz is relying upon his own intellect, his intelligence, his own power. And so he's making political alliances with the nations around him to help him to fight against his enemy. And Isaiah says this to him in chapter 7 and verse 9. Listen to this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Friends, what a word for this time for us, hey? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. And the invitation to stand on the faith is backed up with a sign. In fact, Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says to him, ask God for any sign and he will give you a sign. I can remember years ago, I was eating in my cafeteria of the company where I was working at and the secretary came um, from one of the partners came to find me. I was a, I was a manager in, in the company and she said to me, please won't you come help me? The partner is lying on the floor in a fetal position, sucking his thumb. He wasn't sucking his thumb, but he was, he was in a distraught state in his office. Won't you please come help me? She knew I was a Christian, and she thought, maybe I can help. And I went to go meet with him and sat with him. I spent a couple of hours talking with him in his office. He had come to a real crisis point in his life. He was a sailor. He often took his boat out um, to the um, out of, off Dur the Durban coast that would sail out there. And eventually I said to him, I said, next time you go out on your boat, why don't you just do this? Nobody else around, not proving it to anybody. No, there's no hypocrisy in this because I know so many people feel like they don't want to be hypocrites and do something like this. And just get on your knees on that boat with just the sea around you and say, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And I Give you my word, Lord, that if you reveal yourself to me, I will respond to you. And you already said to me, I can't do that. I thought, what have you got to lose? To sincerely pray a prayer like that, God, reveal yourself. What have you got to lose? And, and Isaiah said to Ahaz, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Um, and Ahaz had said to, um, said to Isaiah, I won't test the Lord. He said he's trying to, he's got a veneer of humility that's over him, but really what was going on is that he was not prepared to trust in God. He was not prepared to lay himself down and come in humility before God to accept God's ways. And Isaiah says to Ahaz in the end, in a in couple of verses later in verse 14, he says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with us. Does that sound familiar? Obviously it does. The invitation God was making to the shepherds that night when he sent the angels to make this announcement and the, the invitation that God is making to us this morning is not an invitation to those who are impressed by earthly power and wealth. 
nor is it for those that want to make a show of worshiping Him, but for those whose hearts are motivated. Sorry, babes, my phone is ringing. Why don't you get out of my bag? It's been so much funny for the last five minutes and just tell them it's church on Friday. What are they thinking? If you're online and you're phoning me, you're going to be in trouble. Let me say this again. The invitation that God gives us is not for those that are impressed by earthly power, by earthly wealth. It's not for those that want to make a show of worshiping God on the outside, but inside their hearts don't belong to Him. They instead are trying to sort out their own glory. In fact, Paul picks up this very theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he speaks about um, the crucified Christ as the wisdom and the power of God. And the whole point of him bringing this up is because the, the, the church in Corinth were um, operating on the basis of, sorry, but just take it out and just go sort it out, please. I keep getting it on my watch as well. Sorry, folk. I'm sure it's something profoundly important because the person's phoned like six times, so it's probably an Amazon delivery. Who knows? <laughs> See, Paul, Paul was concerned because the Corinthian church were being caught up in the externals of the faith rather than the internals of the faith. They began, began to shift away from the hum, humiliation of the cross, and we were trying to step into the place of power and status and stature again. And so Paul builds a case to say that what looks like power is not power. What looks like wisdom is not wisdom. What looks like foolishness, the cross. What looks like weakness, the cross. Actually, that's where real wisdom and power is. And he builds his case in verse 29. He gives the reason that, he, that God chooses what seems to be foolish and what seems to be weak. And the reason is this, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. That none of us could ever come before God and go, actually, this was because of me. I played some part. I played some role in this. That's why Jesus came born in the humble circumstances again. He came in so that we wouldn't come and come with pomp and glory into the presence of Him as if we were doing Him a favor by coming and receiving our salvation. And that's why the, the, the shepherds were not sent to see some parade of power like these dictators have where they roll out the armies and the, and the tanks and all those sorts of things. Uh, they were not sent to see some display of human intelligence because those things only attract the powerful. People like Herod would be attracted to that. And that's why the sign of the Savior's coming was not even the angelic host. You know, when the angels come there, imagine the, 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 the angel messenger and the other angels around singing the song like that. And that would seem to me to be the sign. I would go like, hey, shepherds, this is the sign. This me, this glorious angel standing before you and singing the song. This is the sign that proves what we say is true. No, no. The sign was the baby in the manger. And so they went actually from that, that declaration to go and see the baby that was born. The truth is, friends, that those that came to Jesus to be wowed by him, they wanted to be, to be impressed, like, Jesus impressed me. Do your best. Often, most often, left Jesus disappointed. Because Jesus never came to entertain the crowds. In fact, so often he chased the crowds away. He, he, was, he made it difficult for people to just follow him if their hearts weren't in it. Nor did he come to give us what our fallen nature lusts for. When the people followed Jesus and said, look, you know, the other day you made some bread and we ate our full. Could you do that again? It's like, he says, you're seeking after the wrong bread. You're trying to satisfy your earthly body instead of satisfying the spiritual hunger because I'm the bread of life and you need to eat of me. See, Jesus came to give us what we need the most, 
and that is salvation. He came to give us forgiveness. He came to give us redemption, and He came to give us reconciliation. And friends, salvation is received only by trusting in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not that we bring anything, like, like we can do anything to be saved. So many people want to come to Jesus and say, I've sorted my life out. Okay, now I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That, that's bringing something. We bring nothing. We come with empty hands. Any sense of self-sufficiency, is, which is actually just born out of pride, is an hindrance to the gospel. We come to that place where we go, I offer nothing to you, Lord Jesus. The, the beautiful thing about covenanting, Ian and Hannah got married recently, as Dylan said, welcome back, guys. And, and they came into a covenant relationship with each other. And what happened at the moment of covenant was that everything of Ian's and became Hannah's. And everything of Hannah's became, became Ian's. They came together. When we come to God, we come with nothing. We come with debt. We come with deficit. God comes with everything, and He joins us in covenant so that He takes on our debt and our deficit, and we take on all His substance and all His love, and we come empty-handed. In John chapter 9, we read the account of a man that was born blind, and um, Jesus heals him. Isn't that amazing? So maybe 40 years old, this man is never seen in his entire life, and God, in that moment, through Jesus, heals him. And the Pharisees are furious. You think like, why the heck would you be furious? A blind man's been healed. This seems like a good thing because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Now, friends, I want to tell you, I don't believe those Pharisees really cared about the Sabbath at all. I think what they cared about was, these are my rules. These are my ways. You need to be obedient to the the rules that have been put in place. This is my power that's being stepped upon here. And so they actually got the blind man and they said to him, You need to denounce the man that healed you as a sinner. Can you imagine that? You've been blind your whole life. For the first time ever, you get to see. That's what a tree looks like. Who could have known, you know? The first time ever, and you're supposed to denounce him as a sinner. Recently, I wrote in my journal about this passage in in John chapter 9. I just want to read it to you. It says, The simple story plays out as a metaphor of spiritual blindness versus growing spiritual revelation. Spiritual blindness versus growing spiritual revelation. The religious elites who despite their learning and a high position will not see the miracle that is staring them in the face. As the healed man clearly testified, I was blind and now I see. Jesus' closing words sum up the situation. I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they see that they are blind. And to show those that think that they see that they are blind. Christ confronts all men. I continue my journal. Every man and woman has their eyes open and the facts are laid bare before them. Those who willfully reject the signs and Jesus to whom they point are given over to judicial blindness and hardness of heart. But those who acknowledge that they don't have all the answers and remain seekers. Friends, I hope that's us. To them, Jesus will come to touch their eyes with mud made of spit and dust. Who would allow him to do that to them so that they can see the glory of God? My prayer is that we will be of that sort so that like that man, we will say, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Given all of that, it's not surprising at all that the angels didn't come to a CEO or a king or a sheikh to reveal the message. They came to the shepherds. 
some of the lowliest in society. Maybe if they would appear today, they might appear at four o'clock in the morning when somebody's sweeping the streets around Dubai and, and bring the message to them. And it's not that God doesn't reach out to people of every um, order of society. What he's speaking about here, this is a picture of the condition of our hearts. Are our hearts humble or full of pride? Are our hearts crying out with a need for a savior? Or is there a, a self-sufficiency that says, I'll take my chances? I cannot tell you how many people I've shared the gospel with that have said to me, I'll take my chances. I, I think I've lived a good life. And they're like, buddy, you are betting on the wrong horse here. This is, a, this is a gamble you shouldn't be taking. I'll take my chances with my good works. That's, a, that's pride that is preventing them from coming to the very humble master who's come to us. And as we celebrate Christmas this weekend, let's not be deaf to the message that his humble birth communicates to us. How do we respond? When the angels had left the shepherds, it says that they went with haste to see what the angels had told them. They believed the good news and they responded with urgency. They could have done all sorts of things. They could have spent the rest of the night talking about the angels, debating you know, what had happened. Like, did you see that middle angel? Wow, that, that was amazing. That, he was like a ready color. That was... They could have spent all night talking about that angel or did you see the one on the left that was kind of shining and throbbing and the one seemed to be unplugged or something because there was something weird was going on with the angel and could have spent their times talking about that instead of hearing and responding to the message. They could have debated the meaning of the words. Yeah, but what does Hosanna really mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, like in the original Hebrew, does it mean this or does it mean that and argued about the meanings of the word? They could have done the worst thing that people can do and say, you know what, this is an amazing message. I'm sure it's for somebody else. Though. This is not for us. It's, it's not, it doesn't apply to me because I'm a nobody or I'm a somebody or anything in between. But they didn't do any of those things. It, the Bible says they went with haste. And the invitation to you this Christmas is to respond to the good news that's been announced to you and to receive the gift that God has given. We come, friends, with empty hands. And today is the day of salvation. So many people, as I said, want to make themselves, want to make things right before they come to Jesus. He comes to save the sick, not the healthy. He doesn't come to turn, he doesn't even come to turn us as bad people into good people. So we don't need to get on and kickstart that journey ahead of time. He comes to us who are dead in our sins to make us alive in Christ. And in fact, we could have no ability to understand what this journey is even like until we come to the place coming on our knees, on the deck of the boat, just saying, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, please reveal yourself to me. I need you. And if you do, I promise, Lord, that I will not allow my pride or my rationalizing of things stop me from responding to you. If, friends, if you reveal yourself to me. And maybe right now, God is knocking on the door of your heart. The worship team, please come up. John's gospel starts so differently to the gospel of Luke. Um, I don't know if you've read through the gospels yourself, but um, it's like Luke is telling us what's going on and explaining it, but he talks about the census that was going on. It's, he's able to tie things into what's actually been happening and how they traveled from one town to the next. They couldn't find a room at the end. And, and so basically the story is of a, of a poor couple that have their baby um, in these humble circumstances. 
John comes along, and it's like he takes the curtain, and he begins to draw it back like this. So you can see in the spirit realm what's behind what's happening in the physical realm. And this is what John says, chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word, the Logos, the revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation. That's why when Dylan read that scripture this morning from Hebrews chapter 1, was Hebrews 1 or Colossians? Hebrews 1. He, um, it says that God, in the final Word of God is Jesus Christ. The Word, the Logos, the revelation became flesh. And he continues and he says this, that this baby is actually the son of the Father, the one who alone is full of, full, 100% full of grace and truth, not 50% full of grace and 50% full of truth, and they kind of come together to make 100%. The fullness of grace is in Jesus. The fullness of truth is in Him. And then He tells us this in verse 16. And from His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The gospel message this morning is exactly that. We don't deserve it, friends. Grace is that we receive what we don't deserve. That's why Jesus was born in the flesh that we walk in. Why he lived a sinless life. Why he went to the cross. The only one, the only one, the only person that has ever been, ever will be innocent. The only one that has never deserved to die. Went to the cross in our place and bore our sin. And the justice that our sin deserved was poured out upon him. And it was for a specific reason that we might have the forgiveness that we need to be reconciled to God the Father. And so this morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we can't celebrate it disconnected from his life and his death and his resurrection and his words and his promises and his invitation to come and receive the salvation that He offers us today.